Now, for the next five weeks, we're doing something a little unusual. We're not working through a book of God's Word. We're picking, we've chosen five separate topics, which we're also discussing in our life groups. Uh, they've been chosen with a view, with at least one eye, on the fact that if, you've, if you're at St. Matt's, you know that we are a church that is pregnant, and what we're carrying is a baby building. And uh, there's been years of thinking it through, etc. So we thought it would be appropriate for us to think about some of these things in the light of what the Word of God says to us. But fear not. If you're here and you have no intention of giving a single cent to St. Matt's because your, your money is going elsewhere, that's fine. I have no doubt you'll find the sermons in and of themselves quite useful. But it is so we can think about what is a pretty big deal for us as a community enlightened by what God does say to us about various areas of life. I was pleased to hear that someone at a life group this week looked at the passage we're about to look at and said, what's this got to do with the building? Which is fine as far as I'm concerned. In a sense, everything, and in a sense, not much. We can talk about that over coffee. So, the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, particularly the second half of verse 5. Let me read it, then we'll pray. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Three very big titles. He's the one who will bear faithful witness to God. He's not just someone who rose from the dead, but he's the firstborn. He will bring others with him if you're with him. And that massive title, the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's pray. Our loving Father, we pray that what we don't know you would teach that we don't, what we don't see that is real, you would reveal to us. That what we don't have that we need, you would give to us. And what we are not, but we could and should be, we place you would make us. We pray this through Jesus and for his glory. Amen. Well, let's see if we can get this. Here we go. They're the verses we're looking at. Now, I just want you to think, what, what sort of thing is he doing with language here? To him, to him be the glory, etc. See, because if, if I, I sometimes sit down to write things, I haven't had to do as many since I've been in Canberra, and the letter starts off like this, to, him, to whom it may concern. What am I doing at that point? What sort of letters are we doing? To whom it may concern. Oh, it could be. I hadn't even thought about that. I, I, it's normally, I, it's a reference normally. To whom it may concern. And I used to, having worked at an expensive private boys' school for some time, these boys have had every privilege in the world, do something stupid, normally after they've got drunk, you've got to write a reference for them when they go to court. If you like saying, to whom it may concern, this boy's had every single privilege in life, he's still an idiot, lock him up for a while, won't do him any harm. <laughs> but instead you've got to say, this boy's rich, he's had every privilege in the world, oh, don't let him suffer. And anyhow, but um, such is life. Otherwise, you, you sometimes will get a bit of paper that starts off, Dear Bill. What's that? It's a letter. 
We, we used to write these things called letters. You know, you say, oh, I didn't, but some people did. And there are just different ways that you can write this. Poetry. Well, I want you to think for a moment, before we look at, this, at the guts of this passage, what, what is happening here? What, it's got a name, this sort of thing. You see, he's written the first bit, just the first few verses, and suddenly comes to this where he changes his style. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests, to serve his God and Father, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. What is that? Anyone know what? There's a, there's a sort of a word for those sorts of things. It pops up often in the Bible. You'd just be ploughing along, discussion about some area of truth and life and the character of God, and you'll get a statement like this. The apostle, sorry? There's a... There's, a, there's the word. It's a doxology. Now, I think there's a very famous song that's a doxology that gets sung by a pretty cool guy. But the doxology, the, the dox part means glory and the ology part means words. It's words of glory. It's where you're, you're stopping, you're partway through something and suddenly you go, oh my goodness, this is so wonderful. To, you know, to the glory, you know, let's give glory and praise and credit to Jesus. So that's what this is. It's normally found at the end of a long argument in the Bible, like at the end of Romans 11, there's a magnificent one. At the end of Romans 16, there's another huge one. But here, he's only gone for four and a half, five verses, and he's broken into a doxology. It's kind of unusual. Because he said things about Jesus that have reminded him about important things. And this, these verses will take us back to the heart and soul and engine of real Christianity, which we always need to come back to. It, I've... I am amazed that Jesus sets up just one ritual to do again and again and again with the bread and the wine. Just one he sets up. And it's to, it's to make sure we don't forget that he died for us. And you think, seriously? Seriously? Who would forget that? Well, Jesus knows we will. We'll get excited about all sorts of other things and forget that he has loved us and died for us. So this will take us back to the heart and soul, which I think will energise us and help us to think properly about the bricks and mortar that we're talking about. So let's look firstly at this, what it says of, of him. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. So it's to him. So he's begun the praise, but he wants to note, who is this person? Well, he's already told us he's the king of kings and he's the firstborn from the dead. And he's the faithful and true witness. He's the light of the world. But the thing he wants to say here about us is to him who loves us. It's in the present tense. It's not saying he loved us, but it's saying in the pre he's loving you now. Now, the intriguing thing is some of you will know with John, it's a kind of a weird thing that John does. Only John does it. Occasionally in the, the gospel that he writes, because John writes the gospel, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and this letter, which the book of Revelation is, um, to a group of churches, he calls himself just a couple of times the disciple whom Jesus loved. And people have said that's a sort of a strange way to describe yourself. But it does seem as if the John simply never got over the fact that Jesus loved him, uh, which is the way many Christians feel when the penny drops. But here the interesting thing is that he, what he says of himself as an apostle, as an eyewitness, of one of the, he was the first of the disciples to believe Jesus rose from the dead. He was the only of the disciples, as far as we know, to have actually been there at the cross. But the disciple of Jesus loved. But now he says of all and any 
bunch of Christians, to him who loves us. So we're all, as it were, being elevated to stand beside the Apostle John. Now, John at this stage is about 80 years of age, as far as we can tell. He's an old man and he's in prison, as verse 12 will tell us. He's on the Isle of Patmos. It was an island prison. And it, our prisons are nowhere near as soft as some people think they are. But certainly the prison that John was in was much, much harder. No television, that's for sure. And it was a working prison. And he was 80. He's an old fella. And he's in prison because of his loyalty to Jesus. And he is still as excited as ever about the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of Kings, loves him and loves us. Uh, these letters are written to the seven churches uh, in Asia. And from the Roman point of view, Asia was what we would call Turkey. Right? We think of Asia as a, a wee bit further uh, east than that. But so when they talk about Asia, it's Turkey. It's written to these seven ordinary, and they are very ordinary churches. When you read about them in chapters two and three, they've got all the same sorts of problems as we have. What is it that defines you as a person? I mean, if you had to write an essay about what makes you distinctively you, there's seven billion of us. One of the ways that you would define yourself would be key relationships of love. Whose child are you? Whose parent you might be? Who's your brother or your sister? Who's your lifelong deep friends? In the end, human life is all about loving relationships or the lack of them, sadly. But the crucial thing he's saying here is not that some significant human being alone loves us, but the King of Kings loves you. The eternal Son of God loves us. Who are we? Who is St. Matt's? We're a bunch of people that God, God's Son, loves in the present tense. And it's the great Augustine, the North African Christian, who, who argues the all importance of love. What you love defines and determines and shapes your life. Disordered love is his best definition of what sin is. It's where we love things in the wrong order. But here he's saying, we're the ones who are loved by Jesus. Right? I wonder if that's as fresh for you as ever, or if you're deeper in excitement about that than you were a couple of years ago, because John is excited. He's actually, this is part of a, a, a doxology, a, a sort of a praisey sort of moment for him. He wants to, to get excited as he is about it. Uh, many of you remember back, I think it was in the Olympics in 1988, um, when a fellow called Greg Laganis, who was this absolutely magic diver that the Americans had, and he, he just won everything for ages, which puts a lot of pressure on you to win, 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 because that's the only thing that's acceptable. And there was one time when he was competing at the Olympics and something went wrong, it's hard to imagine, but something went wrong and he smashed his head as he was flipping around on the cement um, high diving board. He didn't get a very good mark for that dive. And he went into the water, there was blood going everywhere, because you know the scalp really does bleed when it gets cut. And it was, it was when we were sort of panicking a lot more about AIDS, and it, someone um, said, this guy's gay, so you know, those silly, you know, all gay men have got it. it was all, but anyhow, there was a lot of hullabaloo went on. It was an unforgettable moment. But he was a, the irony was, he, he gives everyone a big head start by doing a dive that he gets naught for, and he still won the gold medal. I mean, he was just, the most outstanding. But he was asked one time by, sport, I think it was by Sports Illustrated, Greg, how do you stay so calm when there's so much pressure on you? The only thing that is acceptable is that you win. And he gave, the, he gave just a wonderful answer. He said, when I'm 
about to do a dive and I'm feeling nervous and maybe I'm tensing up, which would kill the dive. He said, I remind myself that my mother loves me. Whether I make this dive or not, she will continue to love me. And he said, that seems to chill it out for me. Which I thought was quite lovely. Just the fact of one person who couldn't give a fig if he makes the dive or not. One person who loved him. And it's worth stopping and thinking. And the thing is, as a Christian, you can afford to because it's too awful. In some of our lives, it's too awful to think, well, who really does love me? Well, we do know the person who matters loves you. Jesus Christ loves us. That's why we're excitable. When you realise, who is it that loves you? How much does he love you? Well, he tells you very clearly. We're very expensive, very valued, because it says... He who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. That's the highest possible to lay your life down for someone, particularly in the way that Jesus did it. There's no doubt that he loves you. He has loved you with a never-ending, deep, steadfast, wonderful love. It's kind of absurd love, the amount of love that he has for each of us. And this is a thing that when, when we get it, it does keep us singing. And... How much are you worth? I don't know how much I'm worth, really, if you sell me. I um, think I'm probably worth less than I used to be, but, you know, I don't know. Alison, should we talk about that sometime? But, um, you know, we... But... Yeah, thanks, sweetie. You can come again. Um, <laughs> but see, the way that you work out how valuable something is is how much someone's willing to pay or sacrifice to get it. Um, so there's a, a wonderful Christian lawyer who I used to enjoy going to church with, and he, he was the first solicitor. He didn't tell me this. One of his friends did. The first solicitor in Australia was on a million dollars a year some years ago. And uh, all of his fellow senior partners at his level lived in houses around the water around Sydney. He had a house just near Centennial Park. It was quite nice, but it was nothing special. It's not where a senior partner uh, and an absolute world expert in some areas should live, but he did. He had more important things to do with his money than buy a silly huge house. But he, um, Mark said he, because he's shrewd, he waited until the housing market had crashed, I think it was in the 80s, and um, bought this house in a fairly ordinary area. Nice house. But he, I remember talking to him about it because he said it was kind of sad because he was buying it from this guy and the man was saying, Mark, it's worth more than that. And he said, I bought it for this much. I've owned it for this long, but you're offering this. He said, it's worth more. And Mark had to say to him gently, because he's not a thief, he said, no, it's not worth more than that. It is only worth what someone will pay for it. You may think it's worth that much, but it just isn't. Value is completely, as it were, sort of arbitrary at that point. And Mark paid a sensible price for it, much to the... And see, how much are you worth... Well, I'll tell you what God Almighty thinks. He thinks you're worth the blood of his son. That's why Jesus came and died. That's what it's saying here. Unto him who's loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood, he's released us. We're loved and we're liberated. Now, I, I remember I shared this once at a Christian school and it caused a surprising ruckus. I thought they would all agree with it. And that is this. If I was to go home today and discover, you know, that, or any of us was to discover that we've got some pretty serious cancer, that's the sort of thing that happens to us, isn't it? We suddenly get the report, oh dear, oh, that's awful. If I just discovered I've got some serious, nasty cancer, 
That is not my main problem, not within a million years. Your main problem by far, and the main problem for every single Australian and anyone is their sin. It's your sin alone that will take you to hell. It's our sin that destroys families. It's our sin that means that we can't trust each other. Sin is the thing that makes us the enemy of God. And the word used here for sin is the word that comes, many of you will know this, it's the word that comes from, from uh, archery, and it means to fall short of the target. There's a thing you needed to hit, you've failed. It's a word for failure. Well, you're simply not loving and not truthful and not generous and not kind as you ought to be as a human being made in God's image. And Jesus alone can liberate us from sin can set us free. And that's what it says he does. This is why John is still excited at the age of 80-something. He's still very excited about Jesus. And it's worth remembering, brothers and sisters, that Jesus does not take, in a relaxed way, if we allow ourselves to go to sleep in terms of loving him as we get older. And he says in chapter 2, verse 5 of the book of Revelation, he says there's this great church, the church of Ephesus. excellent church but he says I have this against you Jesus says you've lost your first love it is Jesus expectation that our love for him will grow not shrink our passion and our enthusiasm with him as we get to know him better and better will grow we'll be more generous more forgiving more sacrificial than we've ever been because we're growing up and deep as Christians So these are the things that define us. This is who we are. It'd be nice to spend more time, but we mustn't on this. We've been loved, we are loved, and we've been liberated by his blood. And that's what he wants to remind us by with the Lord's Supper. But there's more. If you have a look with me at verse, let's see how we go here. Now that's interesting, isn't it? To him who has made us a kingdom of priests a royal priesthood. We read from 1 Peter 2, chapter 9, which was echoing the Old Testament reading, where it says this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Now, I just went to Andrew Vella's ordination last week, and I'd forgotten, how do I describe this? The interesting clothes that religious people wear. Some of them, would have been worthy to belong in my daughter's dress-up drawers when they were young. <laughs> Bright and shiny and glittering in the sun. The other people who wear really fancy clothes is royalty. And in, for both groups of people, they're trying to say, don't forget just how important I am and how unlike me you are. I'm in a different class. And this verse is saying here of all Christians, any of the Christians in the seven churches in Asia and any of the Christians here in Waniasa, not only are we loved, as if that's not enough, and we've been set free by his blood and death for us, but we have been made royal priests. I am enjoying calling Andrew Vella reverend because now he is technically a reverend. But in the Anglican system, he's not actually called a priest. We use the word priest in, in a way that's Arguably not all that helpful. But, but I've been enjoying, where is the Reverend, Reverend Andrew? Right. But see, what this is interesting to say is this. This passage, like many others in the book of Revelation and 1 Peter, it says that all Christians are priests. 
I became a priest in my bedroom in 1974 when I turned my life over to Jesus. That's when I became a priest. You have become a priest if your faith is in Jesus. If Jesus loves you, he hasn't just released you from your sin and guilt and set you on a far more joyful pattern of life, but he's made you a royal priest. What on earth does that mean? See, because just about every religion in the world, as far as like at least most of them, they have these sort of intermediary people, people who are kind of a little bit closer to God than the rest of us. They, they're close to the numinous. They, they deal with the spiritual, etc. So if you've, got a, if, you, if you've got some particular need, you go to them and get them to do some ritual for you or some prayer for you or something like that. That's not true of Christianity according to Jesus. Jesus is the last great priest. He is the great high priest. We looked at that in Hebrews. He is the person who is the bridge person. The word priest, uh, our word comes from the, the sense of being a bridge person. So when I think of priests, I, I can't help but think of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. I've been living in Canberra long enough, I should probably think of one of those bridges that goes across the Civic or something. What are they called? Bland Bridge 1, Bland Bridge 2, I don't know. But anyhow, they work. Um, but I think of the Sydney Harbour Bridge, it's so huge. And it links the two sides of the harbour. It made a massive difference. There was all this land on the North Shore of Sydney that now you know, you've know got to sell your kidney and your mother in order to buy. Uh, make sure you don't have a useful career. Otherwise, you know, it's got to be some weird job. Uh, but Mossman was really cheap. There are lots of poor people lived in Mossman because it didn't have the bridge. You had to use a punt to go across the harbour. There was... The bridge links things, and, and a priest is a person who links, who brings God and humans together. You are a priest, according to God's word. You are that person who can link and can pray and can sort of advocate for God's cause in the world that's likely to forget him and advocate for man's needs before God. All of us are priests. Those of us who get ordained in various levels of Anglican, we, we just have particular roles amongst the family of God. I, I think I shared with you, I, I did love messing with the kids when I was a chaplain at Shaw, that, that messing with their heads, because I'd say to them sometimes, Ken Gilmore, who was a German teacher, I used to, when it came up, when it was a prayer, I'd say that I look up to Ken as a Christian. I think he's a far better Christian than I am. And it was just fun watching the kids. Oh, but aren't you supposed to be, you know, you, aren't you supposed to be super Christian? I said, no, I've just got a particular set of gifts and a particular role. Right? So, People don't need the priest to do anything for them in particular. We can all pray for each other. So God has not just forgiven us and released us from our guilt, but he has planted us in a very noble role. That's what it is to be Christian. As he says, he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. Right? That's who we are. The early Christians, as some of you know, in about the third century, were often called atheists, not just because they, they didn't believe in the common gods that all, all the in, intelligent people believed in, uh, etc., but because they didn't have any of the marks of religion. So they, the early Christians would ask, where's your temple to Jesus? We, we don't have a temple. You're building one? It doesn't, well, why would we build a temple? Where's your priests? You know, the intermediary, spiritual, super spirituals. Well, we don't have priests. Well, what about the sacrifices to make the gods happy? No, we don't do that either. It's all finished. It's all done. So that they would cause atheists because they just it, the people of the Roman and the Greek couldn't make any sense of them because they didn't have priests because we were all priests, all brothers and sisters and priests. That's who we are. 
We're all caught up in this holy and noble task. So because of those wonderful gifts and blessings, um, we're called on to to give God the praise. What, What an amazing thing that he loves you. What an amazing thing that he's made you a priest. You have as much access to God the Father as any human on the earth. That's what it is to be an ordinary Christian. It's extraordinary and it's wonderful. So he bursts into praise. And then he gets to this, the last part, which you can see there. To serve him and to him be the glory. Let's have a look here. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. So because of what God has, because of who God is in loving us, because of what he's done in releasing us through the death of his son, because of what he's, this sort of high honour he's placed on us, <laughs> you look up and say, wow, God, that's fantastic. Aren't you amazing? I would not have done that in a million years. There's no story like it in the earth. One of the foolish things we get told again and again by people is, oh, all the religions are much the same. They're not. It's just People can only say that if they haven't looked at hardly any of them. God sending his son in love to die for you and to give you the gift of adoption and free that this is all this is all quite unique. Therefore we give him the glory. Right. Religious people can become quite proud, can't they? Of all sorts of different I've met because they think they're better. We don't. We know we're crap. Right? And that's that's a that's a highfalutin word for it, right? Right? We just and we are a constant disappointment to ourselves and to others, right? We need a saviour. We recognise we need blood to be shed for us that we can be wonderfully forgiven and adopted. Therefore, we give all the glory and all the praise to the one who loves us. Not to us because of our loving niceness, but him because of his lovely grace. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, let's, let's give all the praise and all the credit to him. Now, that often comes to music, doesn't it? Glory and praise. You know, often, it often leads to singing. Christianity has been called by a number of religious scholars. It's the singing religion. Wherever it goes, it sings. All religions have chants and things like that, but just full-hearted singing is a mark of some parts of Judaism and of all parts of Christianity because it's such a joy. We can't believe it that God would love us as he does. And so we just naturally pray, as Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name. The first thing Jesus has to pray about is that God would be honoured, that people would catch a glimpse of how wonderful he is. Why? Because he deserves it. Some people do find it odd, the call amongst Christians and in the scriptures to praise God. And uh, many of you all know the great C.S. Lewis as he moved from atheism to believing in God. He struggled with this, the things he saw in the Psalms where God seemed to want to be praised, although it's much, much more often humans saying, how can you not praise? Come and let's, let's sing together about this great God. Let me read you, his, because I think his insight is quite wonderful on why we happily give glory to God. Actually, some of you, any of you know the, um, the Westminster Catechism? It's a set of question and answers, uh, particularly the Prezies learned it. Anglicans actually invented it, but we gave it to the Prezies. They were needy. And um, <clears throat> so um, anyway, the, the first question is, what is the chief end of man? Now, it's 17th century, so it should say humans or hu persons, but it, it doesn't. It says man in that old-fashioned way. What is the chief end? It's an interesting question. That's where it starts. What is the chief purpose of being human? The answer? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. People think, well, that's why would God do that? Ah, you see. Because to glorify the beautiful is what you do naturally. Let me read you what C.S. Lewis says. 
The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, had strangely escaped me. I thought of praise in terms of giving a compliment, approval or honour. I'd never ever noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise, unless shyness or fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise, lovers praising their lovers, readers praising their favourite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favourite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps. <laughs> rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. Except when tolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. I had not noticed either that just as people spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge others to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Isn't that glorious? Don't you think that's magnificent? The psalmists are telling everyone to praise God are doing what people always do when they speak of what, that, what they care about. You see, we praise all the time, unless you're a really narky little person. So, is, yeah, Ron's here. Now, Ron, who, who did I praise yesterday before we came into the meeting here? My dentist. Right? It wasn't that the dentist said, OK, on three, I want a little hymn of praise to my skills. Right? But Ron had gone to see the dentist, and I, just, I, I have the most amazing dentist. He's not as cheap as I'd like him to be. Right? But it's just boring. There's no pain. There's no nothing. Right? And he just fixes stuff up and it's amazing. So I, Ron was talking. So I just instinctively said, I've got this great dentist. I, I was telling Alison, I've, I've watched this, what I think is a really funny thing. Someone I got off Facebook. It's, a, it's really funny. I want to put it up on church. I was trying to work out how I could include it in the sermon. Because I just want you to enjoy it. It's so much fun. It's brilliant. It goes for about 10 seconds. Um, but it's, it's an instinctive thing we have to share something good and beautiful. And I say, look at that. So every now and then, Alice and I will be driving somewhere, and it's an old family tradition. Uh, we say, oh, hang on, it's a view. So it doesn't matter what you're talking about because it's going to come and go. Stop and look at that. That's beautiful. So what he's saying is praise. We actually do it all the time. It's acknowledging something that's beautiful. So he goes on and says, my whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us as regards the supremely valuable what we delight to do in fact, we can't help but do it about everything else that we value. To say, look at that, is not that marvellous? Isn't that beautiful? And that really is from the Old Testament. That's where the surge to what we might call sharing our faith comes from. We, we looked at a psalm yesterday, Psalm 9, that we, many of us were soaping from, where it just talks about it's making known the glorious deeds of God. Right? And that's what it's talking about here. So we should be living to his glory. Right? as we rejoice in his love afresh. Right? So, by way of bringing this to an end, what on earth has this got to do with the building? Well, the purpose of the building is so that more people get to hear about this God, so that we can teach the kids better, so that people know that their kids are kept safe in a really good, safe crash rather than the somewhat dangerous antique one that we had. There are all sorts of things we'll be able to do with the building that will enable us to love and pass on the praises of Jesus to people so that they can hear and be blessed as well. And so we just work out what part we're going to play in it. But I want to suggest to you that you, that you 
just have a bit of a careful look at yourself about where your heart is at in terms of rejoicing in the love that Jesus has for you at this very moment. Because at times our hearts can go strangely blind. And we sometimes just speak as if that's normal. It's not normal. Right? Jesus, in the end, is not happy with the church that says, oh, well, we're, just, you know, we're not as enthusiastic as we used to be about Jesus. No, it's just you know, it's maturity. No, it's not. It's losing your first love. We know what Jesus says about lukewarmness. He loves us with a passionate love. It cost him everything which he happily paid. And it calls for a similar warm-hearted response back. I remember a young man who I was, um, was troubled at this church I was at him because he didn't feel that he loved Jesus. He didn't feel he got it. So I just suggested to him, go for a walk, just around and around an oval, sing quietly, although he did have a very good voice. You know, sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Just give yourself a chance to soak and marinate in it. Don't go, oh, yes, I know that. that. That sort of, yes, I know that normally means people don't know it. Because there's a sense of wonder and beauty and tearfulness that comes as we sing beautiful songs about the type of love that God has. It is one of my favourite stories still about Karl Barth, who was a mega brain, also, to his credit, opposed Hitler and had to flee from um, Germany to Switzerland. But Karl Barth, I've read a few pages by him. He's almost incomprehensible um, to me. You might like German philosophical theology, but it's just... Anyhow, he's a bit of a brainiac, has written acres of books. But as an old man, he was coming across to America. He was almost um, you know, famous, and he was interviewed at the airport at New York. And somebody said to him, Professor Bard, what is the most amazing truth that you've ever discovered? Uh, and he had discovered some amazing, complicated ideas. And Karl Barth, without pausing, just said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You don't get anything more wonderful than that. That you can say about you, Jesus loves me. To say, we know, as you know, we've got a, young, a wonderful young man at this church called Armadeus. Armadeus means, well, there's two possible things it could mean, but it means beloved of God. Why don't you try it? Just say this. I'll just say it quietly because we don't want to get too emotional here. You know. um, I, Armadeus means beloved of God. So why don't you say it? I am Armadeus. Let's do it on three if you want. You don't have to. It's a free country. Right? It'll do you a world of good. Right. So it's simple. I am Armadeus. On the count of three. One, two, three. I am Armadeus. The person next to you is Armadeus as well, so be sure to treat them well, right? Because they're beloved. That's who we are, right? And that is why, you know, John, having known this stuff for decades, just says, to him who has loved us, you know, and freed us by the shedding of his blood, to him be the glory forever and ever. Right? Let's pray before we sing. Oh, Lord Jesus, uh, these th truths of you are just almost too wonderful to be true for our little brains and hearts. Uh, Lord God, help us to constantly be refreshed by your spirit through your people, through your word, through our gatherings together, through singing together about your great glory and goodness to us, that we may be driven by the desire that others would know your glory and that our life would, would speak and sing of your goodness and greatness. Please make us a people who deep in our engine, deep in our DNA, 
uh, love to point to you as the glorious one. Please work in us even this week that we may love you more than ever. In Jesus' name, amen.